My dear old mom has funded no less than five startups in the past few years, and that is including our Bible app. Her latest project is a hair care company called Newell. You put superfoods in your tummies to make your bodies glow. Why aren't you doing that for your hair? Newell is for all hair types, and that means heads and beards, y'all, and is a superfood for your hair. Its five ingredients are sourced by local female farmers in three African countries. In their purest forms, these oils create a non-greasy serum that will make your hairs stronger and healthier and cleaner and lusher and get rid of split ends and all the good things. Did I say it's great for beards too? Find out more at noellehair.com. That's noellehair.com. N-U-E-L-E hair.com. And if you would like to place an ad on our Bible app, this podcast, or our newsletter, contact me at crystal at our Bible app.com. Aaron Bailey is an executive pastor at Left Hand Church and the founder of Launchpad, a church planting organization for open and affirming churches. I actually met Aaron at a conference where we bonded over our entrepreneurial endeavors in the faith sector. It's not often a thing that I get to geek out about. The intersections of my two passions, that's faith and startups. Um, So don't hate me too much after listening to this convo. Okay, and now Aaron. What? Um, yeah. So like, I just want to start at the beginning. What was it like when you were a kid? Can you paint that picture? Yeah. So I grew up in, in Southwest Michigan in a conservative, fundamental, evangelical, non-denominational, Bible-believing, et cetera, et cetera, church. Yeah. Add a bunch more adjectives in. Uh, that church is now uh, merged with a mega church. So um you know, it's, it is what it is. My, my family still goes there. Um, grew up on a farm. I was a farm boy and, (laughs) (laughs) and never really, um, never really fit in, in the farm world. My, my dad wanted me to, to help out on the farm and I wanted to spend all day inside sitting on this new, new computer that my family bought, like one of the first IBM computers. And that caused perhaps a little bit of friction with, with my parents, um, growing up, but now I think they're, uh, I think they're very grateful that I spent all that time figuring out computers because it led to a really cool place. That is dope. I mean, I can't see you as like, uh, a nerdy farm boy, (laughs) right? but I get it. I mean, I grew up in, um, Cochranville, Pennsylvania, so it's basically just Amish country, Amish country and (laughs) and back then we had like one computer in the entire house and we also had dial-up and I really and I really just thought that like it was so weird to actually have a computer in our ranch style house in homage country and (laughs) you know and I wanted nothing to do with it and here I am with an app so right exactly yeah well yeah yeah that's how it turns out yeah so like how did how did your parents I guess, for one, it's really cool that you still have a relationship with your parents. Yes. I'm assuming if they were so fundamentalist that they weren't happy when you came out. So my um, my mom is the churchgoer in the family. My dad is the Rush Limbaugh listening conservative. Oh. And uh, I came out uh, – so I went to a very conservative college, dated this this girl for two years – my senior year, she asked why I had never kissed her. And you dated her for two years? Two years, and never, never kissed. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and uh, I played that game too, but you win. <laughs> you win. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I think I spouted off some line from Promise Keepers uh, about saving f- ourselves from marriage or something ridiculous yeah, like yeah. that. And uh, I realized then that I was gay. Uh, And so I had to get the heck out of rural Michigan where I was going to, to a really conservative college, Uh, moved to New York city. The first opportunity I got. Wow. Uh, What a jump. Yeah. Town, town of 8,000 to a town of 8 million. That's insane. (laughs) It was awesome. And uh, came out uh, to myself, to friends, went back to, uh, 
to visit for Christmas and the very last day right before I was supposed to leave, um, had all my bags packed and sat them down and came out and it was really uh-huh. difficult for them. Um, th- we didn't talk for a couple of months. Um, we were, you know, it was a strained relationship. However, since then in the last, that would have been 18 years ago, um, we've really kind of reconnected and, and grown together, uh, grown closer together. Uh, they, my mom might not agree with the, the, the gay thing, um, mm. but she has come to love and respect me, I think. We don't talk about it much. They um, absolutely love my partner, Chad. Uh, they, uh, we all went to Europe together last fall oh, they wow. asked about him on the, uh, when they call. Um, so there, there's a, there's a connection there. Um, and, uh, I think they're supportive. How many years has it taken for them to get to this space? College uh, for you must've been like 50 years ago. Yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah. So you can't uh, let me be that two. mean to you. Come on. I'm 42. No, it, it was, it was, it was a long time ago. It, it feels like a long time ago. Uh, so it was 20 years ago when I graduated college. Goodness. Wow. Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, not quite. Almost. I'm just saying it's like a long, that feels like such a long time for a parent to finally just accept and come to terms with this thing their child has been trying to tell them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, it was, it hasn't been all 20 years. Uh, it took them maybe three to five years um, that, you know, it, it, you know, they saw me in a rela- a seven year relationship uh, a number of years ago that ended. Um, and, and so they, they've, they've, they've progressed um, as I have as well. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. That must have really hurt. So what was it like your first years in, in New York? I had, I had such a great time in New York. I, had, I moved there right before uh, in March, February of, of 2001, yeah. right before 9-11, okay. um, and came out and had this really close group of friends. And that summer, I was on top of the world. Uh, I, it just that was such an amazing summer. Um, get you know, getting to know um, other people as my true self. Yeah, uh, having gay friends. Um, I just I I had such a blast that summer. Uh, and then September 11th happened, and that put wow. You know, you quickly grow up. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when you see that happen, um, and my friend group, uh, in, in changed in many ways. Um, a number of people left New York mm. because of 9-11. Um, I stuck around for four years total. Um, we're still good. We're still good friends today, but, uh, you know, you all quickly grow up, um, after yeah. seeing 9-11. I guess you're the... You're the first person I've ever talked to whose coming out story includes um, that 9-11 experience. For me, I was still in high school, so (laughs) I wasn't quite ready for all that. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I do remember that that moment and it was it was it was intense to hear. And I can't imagine actually being in the city, being a young adult and having to deal with that. Yeah, it was crazy. in many ways, it's, it was surreal. Like I, I have memories of it, but I don't know if those memories are true or if something my brain made up to protect me from yeah. what was going on around me. Um, it was it was a bizarre week, bizarre day, bizarre week, uh, and then the months that followed uh, was were difficult. Um, but I became a New Yorker on that day um, and saw just um, some some really beautiful things and humanity kind of rise up to take care of each other. That is awesome. I like that you were able to wrap that up because I was starting to get kind of sad, man. (laughs) (laughs) Thinking about everything. Yeah. Um, You know, our stories aren't so different. I mean, I, I went also went to a conservative university in Michigan and like, as soon as I like right before I graduated, I came out and I moved 
to Philadelphia, which was my like awakening moment where I learned, I found queer culture and, you know, and I, the whole time though, I was wrestling with my faith and I, I mean, like it was, it was really hard, but it was also freeing. Like when I think of those years, I have this snapshot of myself riding my bike in Philly because I, I sold my car and I only had my bike. And like just it was so thrilling to be able to just hop on a bike and go from one spot to one spot, you know, yeah. and, and then retire for the night or whatever. I mean, um, I had that snapshot, but it still has to encapsulate just like how difficult it was sorting out my mess, that mess in my heart. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what it was like? Like how how did you how did you even start to grapple with that? Because right now you are, I mean, where I'm going with this is that you're you're church planning now for progressive churches, <laughs> right? And that is so right. far away from you know I was a fundamentalist kid who had a girlfriend for two uh-huh. years I never kissed. What? Right, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, in New York, I went to church. Okay. Um, however, I went to an amazing church, Marble Collegiate Church, fully open and affirming, um, such a great community. But it wasn't my evangel- evangelical style of worship that I was accustomed to. Um, and, you know, it was more of, more of a check that box for me. Like, I need to do church, mm. so I'm going to go to this place check the box on Sunday and then leave church and go to brunch with my friends and not oh. really think much of it. There, there wasn't much integration in my life. Yeah. Um, after I left New York city, I moved to Chicago and really left church behind. Um, I was done with it. Um, I, I really had no use for it and I would still consider myself a Christian, but day to day, it wasn't really, um, part of my life. Uh, moved to Chicago for three years, started dating someone in Denver right when I moved to Chicago. And so I was doing the back and forth for three years, moved to Denver in 2000, end of 2007. Um, still really had no, no point for church, no really use for church in my life. Um, that I, I moved to Denver for a relationship, uh, a long distance relationship. And that relationship ended four years after I moved to Denver in a very spectacular and dramatic way. Um, I want the tea. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> tell me. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you this. Uh, we were in Paris for my sister's wedding, my little sister's wedding. And I won't tell you the whole story on the podcast. Maybe we can pause later. But um, I found out some very dramatic things about the person I was, the guy I was dating and some very bad things that he had done um, amongst his family. There was a a lot of hurt there. And we, we, I heard about this in Paris. We flew home the next day because of this. Wow. My family was still in Paris. Uh, and we tried to figure out what we were going to do. And I just kept thinking to myself, by staying with you, I'm enabling you in this, oh. in this behavior that you've had towards your family, but also this bad behavior that you've had towards me over the past seven years. Wow. Uh, it, it was a really toxic and difficult relationship. And it took that Paris incident to, to fully realize that this wasn't good for me. And by staying with him, it wasn't good for him either. So um, wow. I ended that. And good for you. Thank you. Um, it was, it was tough. We owned a house together. You know, we had a life together. Were you with him when um, some big things started to happen in your tech career? So, yes. So, so I moved to Denver in 2007, started the company uh, that I grew 
um, throughout the years. But I started that in 2008 and then sold that company in 2014. Oh, wow. So, so that kind of shows you the progression. That is so cool. Um, yeah, so yeah, it was going on at the same time. I guess the company uh, really was kind of the only thing that I had going for me. Yeah. Um, I moved to Denver, didn't have really any friends of my own, didn't have a community, um, had a partner, but that was a, a really bad relationship and had a growing business. Um, so I, I think I put all of my energy into that business uh, to grow it, uh, to, to, you know, to really be successful there. You know, I really identify with that, especially right now in my life, because um, at the beginning of the year, I abandoned a few uh, friendships like they just we just split ways and it was dramatic and it was all at once and like all of this stuff came out you know about uh, like nobody had actually been saying anything or like like communicating and then everything just burst and at the same time where I was finally feeling at a place where the app could start to walk on its own uh, I, right? I had like this giant explosion and then silence. And in a city where I have just been a social butterfly, suddenly it felt like I knew nobody, you oh, know? Wow. And like it, it, it felt like I was alone in a Denver going through a breakup sure. yep. with nobody to talk to. Yeah. Yeah. We're a couple but, the app was, but the app took off like around the same time. Yeah. No, I mean, like, um, I say take off, and I mean, I started to get um, bigger names actually being interested in writing devotionals for us. Um, I started to, you know, f jump into the sponsor program that were, mm -hmm. that were uh, growing. And, you know, the things that I couldn't get to click, uh, like, during that summer, like, six or seven months ago, were just... They were making some sense. And yep. honestly, I had to I had to reconcile it and say, I really think that God needed these people out of my life. Like mm -hmm. I couldn't do this and be really vocal about how gay and Christian I am everywhere with these people in my life who I couldn't even say I'm praying for you because yeah. they took it they took it personally, they took it like I was trying to convert them to something. Wow. They were so grossed out by it. You know, and I was like, yeah, this is definitely Definitely a positive thing that had to happen, but man, it hurt. Yeah. <laughs> it's so bad. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah. I'm, gl I'm glad that um, I'm glad that all kind of came into alignment for you. Likewise for you, though. I mean, you Thanks. were able to, I don't know, I guess my, that's my question. Like, so what happened after you um, started to make those changes, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I, I started the company in 2008. Um, the whole breakup happened in 2000. I think I blocked the year. I don't even remember. <laughs> 2000 it would have been seven years after uh, 2012. Oh, wow. So um, the breakup happened 2012 summer. And I was pouring myself into the business. And so I, I essentially started off as a freelancer building websites for yeah. people. Um, and, and, uh, quickly grew that business to about 15 people. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we started building software as well, web publishing software. Uh, so we were both a services and a product company. Um, 2014 happened. Um, and, some partners of ours in Japan, software partners of ours in Japan, wanted a United States base and they wanted to go after the United States market. So they approached me about buying my company. And up to that point, I thought in my head and heart that this company was going to be my legacy. I was going to own it until the day I died and then pass it on like it was going to be the big thing that I did in my yeah. life and I had no no really plan to sell and they approached me and I thought oh that's weird 
I should at least consider this. And the more we talked through kind of the details of what that would look like, the more it made sense. And so I sold the company in 2014. And Ooh. yeah, it was terrifying and also exhilarating. And um, <laughs> it was amazing. Uh, ch totally changed my life. Okay. I didn't, d you know, a lot of friends think that I made like private jet money in this, <laughs> you know, but I didn't. I made enough money to change my life, but not yeah. enough to retire, not enough to like, you know, go buy two vacation homes. Yeah. Um, but it was so about 30 fun. million, right? Yeah. <laughs> I wish. 20, 20, 30 million. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Keep that way, 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 way down. Um, I mean, but that's, I, oh, sorry. I was saying that's the dream though. Like for those entrepreneurs like myself um, and for, I mean, not even to be able to like sell it for a high dollar, but just for people to see the value in it, you know, yeah. that you've actually built something and created it and, yep. You know, whenever I do, you listen to um, how I built this and like all those other yes. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. podcasts where you're like building things. Um, yeah, that's like the moment. You know that they're all that the whole podcast is about. They're focusing on that moment where somebody believed in them enough to put money on the table. Right. You right. know, like that. Exactly. You had that moment. Yep. I thought it's so cool. Yep. Yeah. It was. It was really fun. Um, they. They moved their corporate headquarters to New York City, but kept a team in Japan. Mm -hmm. And I had a two-year con contractually obligated uh, agreement with them that I would become their SVP of products and services yeah. and oversee the team that I built in Denver, the team in, in Tokyo, and then report to the CEO in New York. So mm -hmm. I spent eight months flying between those three cities and it was crazy absolutely crazy awesome. i would not recommend uh that uh very often because you're on a lot of long flights i tried to, i tried in my contract to um to mandate that they flew me uh first class but they quickly nixed that so so i was flying coach between denver tokyo and new york city um but having a blast it was a great time um and then eight months into that deal eight months into the 24 month uh deal the deal fell apart uh and it was a really tough situation essentially and i can't legally talk about it uh, but essentially, the the parent company of the company that bought mine decided to pull funding, and so I there was there was a question of whether I was going to get paid my money, yeah, yeah. paid. And and for me, it was a, a really good chunk of money. For them, it was a drop yeah. in the bucket. Yeah. They were a nine billion dollar company. Whew. Like it was it was minor for them. Um, and so we spent the next like three to four months threatening lawsuits and duking it negotiated. out. Yeah. And in the end, uh, amazingly, I got my money, all of it, and they handed the company back to me. Oh, shut the fuck so, up. Right? Like, I was like, what's happening? My shut was like, this the never front happens. door. Yeah, that's great. So, um, so 2000, well, so I had planned when I sold the company, I'd planned to work for the two years and then sell everything else I owned and pack one bag and go travel the world, eat, pray, love my way around Fairy the world. Fairy tale, yeah. Right? And build the next business on my laptop. Mm. Um, so, you know, all this, everything fell apart with the, con with the contract to sell my company. Um, I had met a new boyfriend in Ooh. the meantime. Um, the boy, the, the partner that I'm still with, um, his name is Chad. Hey Chad. Uh, so yes. Um, so I met him. So I was like, okay, maybe I don't want to go travel the world now. I had the company <laughs> back, so I can't, I couldn't really go travel the world. And after the, the, the contract fell apart, I flew to Mexico by myself and sat on the beach for a week mm -hmm. just to discern and figure out what the heck I was going to do with my life 
and how this affected me and just just take a mental break from all of this. I went to my happy place, Puerto Vallarta. Um, it's a place I, I go. I to, love Puerto Vallarta. Oh my show. gosh. Let's go. <laughs> I'm so down. Like I, it's, it's nothing yeah. but yeah, it's amazing down there. Yes. I, I go a few times a year cause it's really quick from Denver. Um, my partner and I just love it there. It, Aaron, we're going to talk about this. We're definitely going to talk about this. All right. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Let's go. Um, so I sat on that beach and I brought with me Rob Bell's how to be here. Mm-hmm. Have you read it? I haven't. No. It is a ridiculously simple book, but basically he says in that book how to be present, how to discern what the universe or God has in store for you, Mm. how to align yourself with really what you should be doing with your life. Um, And actually, I should back up to say that, so I hadn't been going to church this entire um, this entire time, but a couple years before that, before I met my partner, my current partner, I got matched on Match.com with this really cute guy, and he talked about his faith in his profile, oh. and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, so yeah, people don't do that, right, and right. if they do, they're like so so Christian and so not out. <laughs> And so right. not out, right? So it's like, why would I message this person uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> and have to deal with things that I dealt with when I was a baby gay? Anyway. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so we met up for coffee and quickly realized that we were just meant to be friends. There was no romantic spark there. Okay. But he invited me to this this church that he had been attending. Uh, so about five and a half years ago, I walked into church for the first time in a long time. Uh, Highlands Church in Denver, Colorado, and it really it drastically changed my life. Wow. It was uh, for the first time I I found unconditional love. I found acceptance for being both gay and a Christian. Yeah. Um, I renewed my faith and my my connection to God. My walk with with Jesus. It it was just so life giving. And amazing, and those people there, um, you know, young and old, gay and straight, um, partnered, not partnered, kids, not you know, um, childless. They're just it, the the whole gamut was beautiful, and I, for the first time, just just really felt at home. Um, and then I started. As I got more involved at Highlands Church, I started looking around the country and realizing that what I had at Highlands Church was not available to many people at all. Yes. My hometown in Kalamazoo or... Oh, you're from Kalamazoo? I'm I'm from Kalamazoo, yeah. Um, You know, or or Omaha. Like, you know, I just kept imagining this 19-year-old gay kid in Omaha coming from similar background to, to mine, but not having a place to go, a place to heal, and a place to be loved. Um, so that, that problem just really just started to knot me, um, not my, you know, I, I had this knot in my stomach about it. So I went to Puerto Vallarta, sat on the beach, was reading Rob Bell, and there's a line in it that says something like, be careful, uh, um, recognize what stirs you up, what gets you mad, what, what, what um, I should find the line for you. But essentially, recognize what really gets you irritated. Because that, those are the things that you might be called to go do, to, ha- to help solve. Amen to that. <laughs> Right. Yep. And and so it's like it's literally at that moment I read that line. It's like God hit me over the head with that book, and I realized that I was supposed to go take my entrepreneurial experience and help solve this problem of not enough places in the country, not enough people in the country having access to a church like Highlands Church. I love it. Yeah. And I freaked the. I freaked out. 
<laughs> I was like, wait a minute. No, I can't go do this. I've got a great life. I, I literally paced the beach <laughs> back and forth and, and cried and, and yelled and, and schemed ways out of this. How many Bible characters did that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Paul to Saul or Saul to Paul, uh, <laughs> yeah. Moses, Jonah, just like, no, no. Right, right. So, yeah, so I got back to my computer that night in my room and I started sending emails to everyone I knew at the church saying, help me figure this out. And um, got back to Denver uh, that next week and started having coffee and lunch with people and discerning what this all meant. And I sat down with Paula Williams, who many people know, um, a, a national trans advocate, um, comes from the the conservative evangelical world. Uh, I thought you were going to say national treasure, and I was like, yeah, yeah, she is. Too, yeah. <laughs> um, and she looked me in the eye and said, Aaron, you're supposed to go start a church. Oh. And we're going to go start a church in Boulder County. You need to be part of that. Mm. I was like, oh, whoa, whoa time out. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> didn't see myself as a pastor. Mm-hmm. I saw myself as starting a national organization to really empower church planters. Um, but then I realized, oh, I kind of probably need to go start a church before I can have the credibility of helping church planters. And the know-how, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, we started Left Hand Church um, about a year, year and a half ago. Um we're a community of about 60 to 70 people worshiping on Saturday evenings at 5 p.m. in Longmont, Colorado. Um, I'm pastor of executive ministries there. And uh, it's it's been an amazing, amazing journey. And the community that is formed is, is beautiful. And uh, I, I'm just really excited to be part of that church. I'm excited for you. And... I here in Philadelphia, I haven't found a church home and it's not for lack of effort. I used to do this thing called um, uh, church hopping. Right. <laughs> right. Church hopping. Yeah. yeah. And I actually had like a crew of people and we would go around church hopping, looking for a church. We would like zone in on a church that we were going to try and we would try it. And then we would compare notes and be like, yeah, no, not for me. It doesn't really have the flair. Um, what? And like for me personally, uh, I care about the sermon. The quality of the sermon means a lot yeah. to me. But there are elements in a service that have to be there for like me to get anything from it, for me to get my praise on, for me to like be there spiritually as well. Sure. Um, what are what are some of those features that your that your that make for a good church service for uh, left handed left hand church left hand yeah left hand church yeah left hand church yeah. Um, for me personally, communion is very important. Ooh, yes. Um, if, if you ever make it back to Denver and on a Sunday and get a chance to go to Highlands church, yeah. uh, and, and experience communion and receive communion, it is, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. There are people hugging and crying and laughing and receiving, uh, you know, the bread the body and blood of Christ, uh, it's, it's just an amazing time. People praying and lighting candles and it's, it's very much like giving. And we took that element of Highlands church to left hand as well. And we're still a much smaller community. Uh, and so we haven't quite found our groove for communion, but I'm sure we will. We're starting to, um, it's a really beautiful time. And And it's, for me, it's a weekly reminder about, Jesus and why I believe uh, it's a tangible reminder and it's important to me. What's the, what's the music situation like? We uh, at left hand church, we, so most of us come from a evangelical background, um, mega church background. I yeah. hate saying that word, <laughs> um, but guitars uh, yeah. and power chords and yeah. 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 Um, but we, our, our worship minister um, is an amazing woman named Heather Lynn. 
Uh, go look her up, heatherlandmusic.com. Okay. Uh, she's a guitarist and a, she's a singer songwriter and guitarist. Uh, she's amazing. She's got this powerful voice and she has the ability to weave together a service of both quiet songs and meditation and prayer and also really lively celebratory songs. Um, mm. And she's great. Uh, we're slowly starting to build the band together. Um, we've got um, a bass player that joins her occasionally. We've got a few vocalists who join her. Uh, I am, I'm a horrible musician. I can't <laughs> save my life. So I'm like, go for it. I just put it in your hands and go for it. Oh, um, man. But it's I, fun. It's a fun Yeah. Service. I guess I just, I really love group singing. You know, I enjoy it so much. And a good church will have like that, like you said, that mix of like songs that power people up and songs that put people in a meditative mood or yeah. songs that are, um, that, yeah, have the power chords and are like Jesus rock, but also be able to incorporate hymns because yep. those also have a place and a purpose. Yep. Um, I just haven't been able to find that kind of like dynamicy or even just the kind of people that would be able to, uh -huh. that want to pull that off in Philly. Um, maybe I'll be, uh, trying out your, your church planning kit. Sometime. You, you should, you should definitely start a church. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that is one of the things that like, that like, I just have so many opinions about that I might as well just do it, but yeah. I don't know, man. <laughs> there, are there any, I'm sure there are plenty of affirming denominational churches. Are they, there any affirming non-denominational churches in Philly? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really? Yeah. There are, there's like the, the Epic Church, and they kind of planted churches around the city, but they're non-denominational, um, but when you dig deep, they're not affirming. You know? Right. And so yeah. what I see right now are these churches that are affirming, but they are super old. Like the, right. the church right. itself is old. They continue to use uh, hymn books for everything, and the service yep. is just dry. And then you have like these millennial-led um, super churches with the guitars and the screens and the videos, but they're so conservative. Like you dig yep. deep, and and clarity is not reasonable for them. They like, don't want to do it, you know. Yep. And you dig deep, and you find like all this theology that is just so right. damaging or the dogma that is just so yep. damaging and hurtful. So I guess right now being caught between that is just, it, you know, I don't really have a move, a, a move to make. It, it really is the problem in 98% of the country. You're in Philadelphia, a major city. Yeah. And yet you can't find a vibrant, like the fifth largest city in the U.S. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, you can't you can't find a vibrant community uh, that is growing and not not necessarily growing by numbers, but also growing deeper in spirit, more spiritually. Um, that is also affirming, like, and also affirms women in in positions of leadership. Like, why? Why? That it, it just boggles my mind. In New York City, there is. One church, actually now there are two churches that are like that. In a city, in a metro region of 20 million people, there are two churches. Yeah. There's only, yeah, there's, there's only, there's only a handful, you know, some of, I mean, there's the, the Trinity, Holt, the Trinity Church, Trinity Riverside, right? But, uh, in right, right, but they're denominational. Uh, yes, that's true. Oh, they, not they denominational. Are they're a very vibrant and growing community. So that's true. Um, yeah. So New York has a number of of good churches. Um, Non-denominationally, there are just two. What gets um, you excited about non-denominational churches? Um, well, you know, I, I guess I shouldn't tie the two together, but but so often the old school hymns, older population, those are all denominational churches. Those are mainline denominations. Um, they do amazing work. They they are affirming. They they promote women into positions of leadership. They're great churches, but they're not places where I necessarily feel comfortable in and can feel 
energized uh, on a Sunday. They're, they're, and for some people, like I've got a number of Episcopal friends. They love the Episcopal Church. They love that denomination. They get, they get fed in those churches, and that's fantastic, and I'm all for it. But there are so many – there are something like 100 million evangelicals in this country. And 99.9% of them are – of their churches are not affirming. And they're losing numbers quickly. The young people aren't, aren't putting up with that bullshit. And so part of what I'm doing with the national organization um, that I've recently started, Launchpad, is to build churches that are open and affirming, care about race and, and figuring out how to dismantle racism, put women in, in leadership, and are also growing, vibrant, young, healthy congregations and communities how <laughs> right um if we don't do that then people are going to leave the evangelical church and they're simply going to not go to church they're simply going to disappear and some for some people that's that's very much needed they need to stop going to church <laughs> yeah yeah no. To go through that spiritual renaissance that you and I both had, where we just we just like needed to leave, and right. then when it, we were ready, we were able to come back with like fresh experiences exactly. and fresh eyes. Yep. <clears throat> yep. But but I also think a number of people in that world are being called to start churches um, that that have the style of the mega church, but have the theology of the mainline denominations that are accepted, open and affirming and promote women into leadership. And, and so Launchpad, the, the organization that I founded and I'm co-director of, um, that's our goal is to, to equip and train and support leaders who are starting churches like that. So have you started to roll this out or when will you start to roll out uh, what you've been working on? Yeah, so we're starting to roll it out. Um, we Our first big splash was at QCF in January. Yeah. Uh, we had a table there. Um, in the past six months, I have talked to probably three dozen people from around the country, including the Deep South. There's this, this weird pocket of people, both LGBTQ and straight, who want to start open and affirming churches in the deep South. And I'm like, yes, go for it. It's going to be difficult. I'm sure. Um, but I've had these conversations with these people and they feel called to start churches and they feel called to, to pastor, but they don't necessarily know how to form a, a nonprofit corporation or to fundraise or to you know find a facility to worship in uh, or to do communications they don't uh, they don't know how to necessarily they don't have all the pieces of the puzzle it's a lot of work yeah it's a lot of daunting work challenging work and so uh we're current launchpad is currently fundraising to roll out a bunch of services uh we're fundraising from existing open and affirming churches and also some individuals uh, and then um, soon, in the next few months, we're starting cohorts. Oh. So existing churches, new young churches from around the country, probably a, a, a couple of dozen, and then people who are feeling called to start churches. We want to get them together uh, on monthly video chats uh, from around the country to share best practices, to walk with each other, to pray for each other to really support each other in the, the really difficult work of starting a church. I really love this. I love this work that you are doing. I love this idea. Um, and I think that in order for, you know, ideas like our Bible app to survive, like church clarity to survive, you know, we need Launchpad to survive. Right. Right. You know, we need churches like this that are, um, able to accept anybody who walks in the door, truly accept anybody who walks through the door, um, but still provide a worship experience that isn't um, 
halted by, well, I will just say dogma. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of beautiful things that can be factored into um, a worship service. But the moment that you have that theology that says, you know, um, your dark skin is an issue or your uterus is an issue or your orientation is an issue. I mean, like it just spoils everything. It ruins everything. It does. And people aren't putting up with it anymore. People are like, no, wait, wait, my, my best friend's a lesbian and you're going to reject her, but accept me. No, that's not acceptable. I'm not going to stand for that. Or in my experience, it was you are accepted as a musician, as somebody who can contribute to the service until you're a lesbian. And then I'm sorry. <laughs> or, or you can st- you can stick around in this congregation because we want to save you because we think you're a sinner. We want to save you. So we're going to help you through that. Yeah. But you, you can't be in leadership. You can't serve. Yeah. You can't be baptized in some cases you can't get married to, to the person you love like why i don't yeah. it, it, it's a different way of reading the bible and i guess i could we could spend all day arguing over hermeneutics and and how you see the bible but i just don't see scripture that way yeah. And it does sound like like something that I usually talk to guests about is, you know, how they're using the Bible in their daily lives. And it sounds like you're you're reading it <laughs> and experiencing it. You know, um, I'm an executive pastor mm-hmm. uh, and a co-director of Launchpad. So I don't consider myself a theologian, uh, especially one that that's really a public theologian. I leave that up to the experts. My co-pastors, Jen Jepson and Paula Williams, um, they have an amazing ability to to uh, read scripture and then communicate um, to to a larger audience about that. Um, but you know, I do. I I love the Bible. It's relevant um, to you. Yeah, I'm part of a small group. We're going through Mark right now. Um, it's oh, powerful. Dark. It's life changing. Um, scripture is difficult uh, in, in many ways mm-hmm. to to figure out. It's it's daunting to start um, yeah. to, to to open the Bible and be like, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah. But once you do, once you spend some time in it in Scripture, it, it is powerful. Really powerful. Amen to that. Um. Aaron, our time is almost up, but um, the last thing that I usually ask people is about sex and sexuality. (laughs) It was nice talking, Crystal. Okay, right. No. (laughs) (laughs) But my question is, like, for those of us who grew up in this place where sex, we never talked about sex. And when we did, we talked about it in this very skewed manner where gender roles were off and um, culpability of who was staring at who and who was getting in trouble for, you know, being uh, exposing, but also exposed, but also uh, getting turned on. I mean, it was just like, it was, the purity culture was a mind fuck, right? When, when did you start to have the kind of sex that you, wanted to have when did that bullshit kind of turn down and you were able to just enjoy your body and the body of another person i think i'm still trying to figure that out 42 42 years old yeah you know um i i absolutely love my partner uh but i've had some hang-ups because when you're gay, mm-hmm. you're and in the church you're you're told to to ignore that, to push 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 that away, your sexuality, yeah, and not pay attention to it, and and be a good Christian, and that brings shame. Date someone for two years and don't touch them. Yeah, shame. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was for another reason. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, it's you know um, honestly and. And I, I, I should say that I've done a lot of work in therapy and with friends mm-hmm. on how to get to a healthy place with, with sex. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm there. I'm definitely in, in the right ballpark. But I still feel like this is a lifelong journey. 
yeah. of honoring my body, honoring my partner's body, honoring God um, with intimacy. And that takes some work. Yeah. A lot of fun. A lot. Of, <laughs> it's fun to work on. It's great. <laughs> it's fun, exactly. It's fun work. It's not, not difficult work. I'm so glad you opened up about that. Um, because yeah, that's, that's another, another part of the puzzle. And I feel like these conversations that I get to have with, um, with my podcast guests just feels like people are just kind of like putting a puzzle piece into this giant, uh, tapestry. But you know, that is another piece where we are, we think that we've got it figured out. We think Mm -hmm. that we've got it. And then another, another, another head will rear up, you know, like, you know, this, 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 like, it's not just what we learned in church or what we learned at home. It's what we see on the television all the time. You know, it's, it's kind of incorporated into our culture and we constantly have to work out what kind of sexual beings we are. Yeah. Um, (laughs) It's hard. Our um, eighth and ninth graders at Left Hand Church just um, spent a weekend um, getting amazing sex education. Um, It's called Our Whole Lives. Three denominations came together. Yeah, I've heard of it. Built this curriculum. And I look at the the curriculum and I look at these kids and I'm jealous because I don't think they're going to have these hangups that... that, They're going to have so many tools, you know? Right. Right. And I just, it's beautiful to see them experiencing this in such a different way. Yeah. Aaron, it is such a delight to talk to you about your journey. I'm so fascinated and hopefully we'll get to talk more. Um, Where can people find you on the internet? Uh, My personal uh, placeholder website right now, not much there, is Mm created.me. I have plans to do a podcast in a whole bit, but that's on hold. Um, There are links there to lefthandchurch.org and to launchpadpartners.org. And also my email address. I would love to talk to anyone um, who hears this um, about their journeys or if they feel called to start a church would love to connect um so email me on the the email address found on that website awesome so good a year of service in the lutheran episcopal volunteer network is an incredible challenge a life-changing experience and a phenomenal opportunity 11 year is a chance to discern your faith and spirituality through ancient liturgies modern spiritual practice and everything in between you will meet and live with people from all over the country from all walks of life who have come to sacramento to experience intentional community service to others and simple living find out more and start your application at leaven.org that's l-e-v-n.org